If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me please to Acts chapter 14, as we're reading verses 21 through 28. Over the last few Sundays, as most of you will be aware, we have been steadily working our way through the book of Acts, and today we're coming to focus on the Apostle Paul and his close friend Barnabas as they visit the cities of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And we're breaking into chapter 14 at verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they have put their trust. And after going through Poseidon, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had reached, excuse me, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us their reading from his holy word. Last week I received an email which I thought was humorous enough to share with you this morning. And in fact, I used it in my Friday email to the congregation. And each Friday I send out an email to the congregation letting folks know what's happening over the weekend or major ministry events and projects we have going as a congregation. And the story is about a young mom called Rachel. Rachel was telling a bedtime story to her four-year-old daughter, Jackie. Jackie snuggled under the covers and watched her mom intently. She interrupted by reaching up and touching her hair. She then asked, Mom, why do you have some gray hairs? Rachel responded, You get gray hairs when your children do something really naughty. Oh, Mommy, Jackie said, what did you do to Grandma? And of course we smile and laugh at that, because here we have this little girl putting it all together, wondering what on earth is going on. And this morning we will come to a passage of Scripture, and you may well have similar questions. What is going on in this passage? Because this morning, as we celebrate Mother's Day, we celebrate and give thanks to God for the mothers in our life who impacted us and influenced us during our formative years. And when you get into your early teens and early adult years, you often give thanks for all that your mom has done for you. But as you get a little older and a little wiser and mature... You certainly give thanks for all she has done, but you find yourself giving thanks for who she is. And the moms and the grandparents and the great-grandmoms in her life are people we love and treasure simply because of the influence and impact they have had on our lives. And this morning as we continue through the book of Acts, 
If I asked you what was the most influential passage in the book of Acts that has impacted your own soul, what would you say? I suspect a number of us would say Acts chapter 2 is definitely on that list. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when God broke into the world and transformed 3,000 hearts in one moment and they spread out across the world. Certainly that would be towards the top of my list. The coming of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling power of his enabling. Others might say, yep, that's got to be on the list. But what about Acts chapter 8? When the Apostle Paul was riding on the road to Damascus. And he was going to Damascus with arrest warrants for Christians. Folks who had encountered the risen Christ. Folks who were living out their faith day by day. Paul was so angry with them. He had authority to arrest them and put them in prison. And then he met the risen Christ. And the transformation that comes over the Apostle Paul may be your favorite passage in all of Acts. And we could go through several more. But I suspect almost none of us would say Acts 14 verses 21 to 28 is definitely for me the most exciting, dynamic, influential passage in all of the book of Acts. I think that's unlikely. But it has so much to teach us. And this morning, that's my prayer for each one of us, as we take our time, begin to explore this passage and go deeper and deeper into it, I think your prayer will become, Father, help me to take this passage and apply it to my life. Let your Holy Spirit speak from the pages of Scripture into my heart and soul. Change me that I might be the kind of person that's found here in Acts chapter 14. And the reason I say that is this. That the context for this passage is that the Apostle Paul, having been impacted with the gospel, is beginning to go to the major cities in Asia Minor. My apologies this morning. Normally I would put up a map to show you exactly where Lystra, Iconium and Derby and the other cities were. But I have a new laptop and my software is not quite speaking to it yet. So I don't have a map to show you. But imagine in your minds if Jerusalem was down here. Egypt's down here southeast. If you go north from Jerusalem, you move towards Antioch and Syria and then Damascus. And if you move further north and then turn east, you're going to come to Tarsus, the town that Paul was born in. And then further on, around 100, 125 miles, you'll get three major cities of Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. You can go and see the ruins of these ancient cities today. They're in modern-day Turkey. All of this was happening in these large, bustling, vibrant cosmopolitan cities of the day. But one of the problems is this. We come to 1421 and we read, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. And we read that and we want to give the Apostle Paul a high five and say, what a way to end the chapter. This is exciting stuff. When many people 
gave their heart to Christ, lives were changed, families were being impacted. It's a wonderful story. No wonder it should be one of our favorites. But if you go back a couple of verses to verse 19, you have a slightly different story. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Now imagine for a second, just a second, what it's like for a mob to grab you, beat you, and stone you so badly they think you have died. Now, can you imagine that kind of opposition on the Apostle Paul? He wasn't a Christian that long. He wasn't a mature veteran seasoned in the gospel. He was still in his early years, probably a year, 18 months after his conversion. And here he was, stoned and left to die. Do you think he would be thinking to himself at some point as he sought to recover, Father, where are you in the midst of all of this? Why didn't you protect me? What on earth is going on here? I suspect that would be a reasonable thought pattern, don't you think? And then when he moves to the other cities, it's the very opposite. Things are going remarkably well. Now let me bring it up into 21st century. And imagine that you and I were having lunch together and we hadn't seen each other for four or five months. We are good friends. And when we sit down for lunch, we're really looking forward to getting to know each other, catch up on what's been happening with family and work and all of the things in our everyday lives. And then after our food is served and we've been chit-chatting over the kind of normal things of life, sometimes in the peripheral Then the conversation goes a little deeper. And I ask you about your family. Then I ask you about your faith. And I ask that question that when pastors ask it, people hate it. But I try and ask it often of those I know well. And you've heard me ask it before. And it's a good question. And I get uncomfortable when people ask it of me. And I look at you in the eye and say, Tell me, how is your soul? How would you respond? What would you say? Some of you, I hope, would say, Well, Richard, quite honestly... Since the turn of the year, this first, not quite half, but almost part of the year, has been good for me. I made some New Year resolutions about my faith. I'm growing in my faith. I'm closer to the Lord today than I have been for several years. And I ask you, tell me a little about that. What's different? What's changed? And you say, well, I have purposely made time each day to spend with him. And frankly, it was hard at the beginning. I didn't know quite what to say or how to discipline myself into a daily prayer routine, opening up the scriptures and reading them. 
I made worship a priority, and when I come in Sunday mornings, it's as if every Sunday a passage of Scripture leaps off the page and speaks into my soul. These have been good months for me. And the highlight was Easter. Wow, Easter Sunday, only four weeks away. The music was spectacular. The choir were just outstanding. The message was good. I went home floating in cloud nine. Couldn't wait to see what else God had in store for me. I'm in a good place. But what if you answered the other way? What if you answered by saying, Richard, I wish you hadn't asked me, quite honestly. The last eight, ten weeks, pretty tough. I'm harassed by demands and deadlines at work. So busy, I don't know where to go. I go home at night, just tired. I have almost no time for the kids. (sighs) Help with... The evening meal helped tidy up, and by the time we put them into bed and tuck them in, I'm pretty much exhausted. I go to sleep, and when I get into bed and pull up the covers, I pray for about 30 seconds, and then I'm fast asleep. I'm up early the next morning, and it's one thing after another after another, and honestly, it feels as if there is so much clutter in my life My soul is disorganized. My priorities are not what they need to be. And my prayer life? Richard, if I am absolutely honest, I can't be bothered praying. It's not that I don't want to. I've just got out the habit. I've just broken it. And I don't know what to do. I'm not excited about it. It's been a long, long time since I've sensed his touch and his presence. And honestly, inside, I am dog-tired, bone-weary. It's not that I'm just tired, because I know a couple of days off and a couple of good nights sleep, I'd be refreshed. But I am so weary. I just don't know what to do. Remember the words in Matthew's Gospel? After a very intense period, significant challenges and difficulties, Jesus looks at the disciples, his closest, best friends, and he says to them, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. David, in Psalm 23, when he's writing, He maketh me to lie down, and he restores my soul. Do you think he was weary when he wrote that? Not just tired, several levels below being tired. Weary emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually. Just drained of energy all the time. Weary. And I wonder if Paul encountered that in this young church in some of these cities. And verse 22, he strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to their faith. Was that what was going on there? 
had encountered people who were simply fatigued in every aspect of their life. Running so hard, no margin for prayer. And when you find yourself in that place, several things happen at once. Your innovation and motivation diminish. Stagnation and lethargy creep into your daily life. There's a lack of vision and excitement about the future. And then you become one of the seven dwarfs. And it's not happy. It's grumpy. Constantly complaining about everyone and everything and how nobody cares and how it's all falling apart and all going wrong. And you're beginning to unravel at the seams. And you may be saying, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I get it. But frankly, Richard, the last thing I needed this morning was a lecture from you. That was the last thing I needed. Because not only am I weary, I'm hurt. I'm hurt deep inside. There's tension in my marriage I never thought would be there. The children don't want to hang around with me. People at work are holding me at arm's length. Things are not going well. And I'm hurting. It's not just weary, I'm wounded. How do I heal? What do I do? For goodness sake, help me. Don't just lecture to me. Help me. He maketh me to lie down. He restores my soul. Please allow me to say this with all of the passion and sincerity I can. You never, ever want to feel the hand of God upon you when he maketh you to lie down. He'll drive you to your knees. If that's the only way he gets your attention, that's exactly what he'll do. And you'll end up lying low because then he can begin the healing. Then he can begin to replenish deep inside. He will remove from from you the busyness and the activity in order to speak into your soul. He cares for you that much. And you might be saying, Richard, okay, I hear you and I, I heard that note of warning as well. But not only am I wounded, I've tried. I honestly have. I know I said I can't be bothered praying. I know sometimes it's the last thing in my mind. But I've tried. And I've tried and I've tried. Of course you have. But you've probably tried it in your own strength. And it's ended in a mess. But it's when you quieten your heart and soul. It's when you intentionally carve out time with Him. It's when you sit down with a Bible and you open it up and allow it to speak into your soul and you become comfortable and not rushed and every page begins to speak into your life. You're working your way through the Psalms and you're identifying yourself. That's me, I'm right there. 
then you've come to that sacred space, that place where he ministers to you, that place where he unclutters the soul. He reorganizes your priorities and he recalibrates your deepest affection for him. That's what Paul is talking about when he writes, he strengthens me. That's what was going on there. He strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith. Growing up in Scotland, I played soccer as a child, and I was absolutely useless at it, and was often the last to be picked in gym class because I was so bad. But I do remember one of the boys on the team breaking his leg, and about four or five months later, the soccer coach pulled him out to the front. His name was Alan. He had broken his right leg, he had been fouled on the field, he'd gone down, broken his leg. And the coach explained that his leg was stronger after it was healed than beforehand. At the time I thought, how is that possible? And he went on to explain that when a bone is broken, when it knits together and is given sufficient rest and exercise, that bone can be stronger than the original bone. When you're wounded and hurting and don't know where to go, when he brings his restoring healing touch, you may well find yourself stronger than you were beforehand. Because that's what he does when he replenishes the soul. That's what he does when he strengthens you. That's what he does when he equips you and enables you to grow in your faith. But he will not do for you what you can do for yourself. Now let me explain that because it's the kind of thing that pastors say and we all nod in agreement but we have no idea what it means. And what it means is this. That God expects you to have in your life the disciplines of the Christian life. He expects you to carve out time to pray each day. He expects you to make worship and prayer a priority on a Sunday morning. He expects you to be active in a Sunday school and in a small life group, growing in your faith, being discipled, being accountable to others who will look at you from time to time and say, tell me, how is your soul? That's never easy. But boy, is it healthy. That's what goes on when we're growing and developing and maturing in our faith. Because having expected us to take those steps in obedience to his call in our life, He then comes in and restores us and renews us and gives us a new appetite and a new heart and new motivations and new desires. That's where commitment is birthed. That's where dedication takes place. That's where he replenishes the soul. But we are required to walk in obedience to him. That's what these young churches 
in Lystra and Derby and Iconium and Antioch were learning in those days. And he expects you to be honest about your faith. He expects you to come to him and say, Father, there are times I can't be bothered praying. Father, I'm struggling. Father, I'm hurting. Then he's able to go to work. And finally, if we can wrap all of this up, move towards the end of the passage when it tells us of the various places that he visited and we see it from Pisidia to Perga to Attilia, then back to Antioch, And notice how the passage finishes, verse 28 in Antioch. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Doing what? Strengthening each other. Encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Next February, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. As a congregation, we will celebrate our 175th birthday. And that will be quite an event for us, and we absolutely will celebrate it in great style. And we'll make a big deal out of it. Thanking God for his faithfulness and his goodness and his kindness, generation after generation, since 1848. That's going back a while. But you will also hear us say this, that God never calls us to be a museum He never calls us to live in the past. He never calls us to only be historical in our outlook. But he calls us to be a living, growing, dynamic people, impacting our community, caring for our city, praying for it, having an influence and an impact in it, and watching the transformation of the spiritual heart of our city. That's what he calls us to. That's why in a month's time we'll be celebrating new facilities that will enable us To try ministry in a whole number of new and different areas in order that we will be the people of God. So that someday some will say of us, they strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to their faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. It's a passage packed with hope and promises, strength and encouragement. Help us, please, this week, whatever our circumstance or situation, whatever we are facing, to revisit it and to prayerfully come into your presence each day, growing in our faith, being obedient to your call, and asking that you would unclutter our souls, recalibrate those deep affections that we might love you more fully and know you in that deeper way. Father, bless us this week, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray.